And we are back on KUCI's Justice or Just Us, where we just heard The Big Business of War. Great, uh, great song from, uh, I suppose, local hip-hop artists. I don't know much about them, but uh, they go by uh, Wreck and Lime, and uh, really, really great lyrics. And before that, we had Black Alicious doing You've Got It to Move. And, you know, on October 2nd, which was uh, Mahatma Gandhi's birthday, 74 activists were arrested outside of a Minneapolis office building while attempting to deliver a subpoena to Alliant Tech Systems CEO Daniel Murphy. Alliant Tech Systems is a leading manufacturer of anti-personnel landmines, cluster bombs, and depleted uranium munitions which many military and non-military experts consider to be indiscriminate weapons and therefore a violation of international law. Uh, this act of nonviolence was planned by Alliant Action, a coalition of activists, including members of the International Campaign to Ban Landmines, Veterans for Peace, Women Against Military Madness, and the Sisters of St. Joseph. Here to talk about Alliant Action and to tell us a little bit more uh, some of the, the more dirty details of Alliant Tech Systems is Tom Bottling. He is a graphic artist uh, working in the greater Minneapolis area, and he's an organizer with Alliant Action, and uh, he joins us here on KUCI. Good morning. Good morning, Jared. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. How are things out there in Minneapolis today? Uh, it, it froze last night, and uh, right now it's about... Oh, I don't know, 28 degrees, so it's a little bit chilly. It was, be- it was beautiful uh, about 10 days ago, wasn't it? It, it was. It was a, just a great day for weather. Well, uh, thank you for joining us in the, uh, the, the freezing weather. Um, why don't we begin, uh, could you give our listeners a little bit more information about Alliant Tech Systems? Who are they? What's their history? Sure. Um, in 1991, early 1991, the Honeywell Corporation um, spun off its armament division. Um, they had attempted to sell it, and they, they couldn't find a buyer, and uh, they, they spun it off to the shareholders. They retained their, their much more profitable avionics division, and, and it's something that uh, Honeywell Corporation is still into. Um, when they spun off ATK, it was a $350 million a year military contractor. Their primary uh, product was torpedoes for the Navy. And over the subsequent 10 years, through acquisitions mostly, they became a $3.4 billion a year company, which is, is really kind of small potatoes in the, in the military uh, uh, business compared to Lockheed Martin or Boeing. But Alliant... Uh, it has become what's kind of known as a niche player. Uh, they do the primary, they're the only ones that build certain things, or one of the very few. Um, the, their major products include, uh, they're in a contract right now to uh, replace all three rocket motors on the Trident II first strike nuclear missile. Um, the, the Trident II missiles now are about 25 years old, and the Department of Defense has determined that the, the motors aren't reliable anymore, so they're replacing them all. Uh, multi-million dollar contract. Um, so, and um, it is one of their areas of expertise is, is uh, rocket motors, rocket propulsion systems. 
Um, so they're also involved in, in, the, in the militarization of space, the weaponization of space. They, they're the ones that bring most of the stuff up there. Now, in the, in the scale of, uh, you know, you talked about Lockheed Martin and, and so, so forth. In the scale of military suppliers, how does Alliant Tech Systems compare? Are they a, a big, big player, a small player? And they're either 23rd or 26th. The, uh, largest supplier to the Department of Defense. Once again, in, in scale compared to Lockheed Martin, I mean, they're nothing. Hmm. Um, at only $3.4 billion a year, I mean, I, I believe Lockheed Martin probably sells uh, jets uh, that are billion-dollar jets. So, they, you know, they sell three of those, and they've done the same amount of business as, as Alliant has. But once again, Alliant is, is really focused on, on some core areas. Uh, they're the largest ammunition manufacturer in the United States, uh, and that's both to civilian and to, to the military. They make all of the, the, uh, uh, the small munitions uh, for M16s that the Army uses, over a billion bullets last year. Uh, the war, of course, has been very profitable for them. What um, and what about uh, these so-called uh, indiscriminate weapons? W what are those? Okay, um, cluster bombs w would probably be the thing that the most biggest buzzword right now, probably with people, uh, but with Israel having just delivered thousands of them on uh, Lebanon. But cluster munitions um, and a cluster munition, uh, the military accepts a 5% dud rate. Uh, most experts put dud rates at about 40%. And so a cluster munition, a cluster bomb that uh, the Alliance would have made, uh, has 202 little bomblets cluster munitions inside of them. And so 5% of those, the Army says, it's okay if 5% don't go off. That would be 10 of them, uh, which is bad enough as it is. Uh, once again, most experts put it at about 40%, so that'd be 80 of them. And so if these munitions don't explode when they're supposed to, uh, as they're designed, they're, they're designed to explode as they hit the ground, uh, they lay there on the ground. And what makes them indiscriminate then is that munition, the cluster munition, is not able to determine whether it's a soldier or a civilian that it's blowing up. And that's the indiscriminate nature, and that's what makes it uh, in violation of international law. International law has, has kind of three things. Uh, the munition can't target civilians. It, um, now I'm going to forget all three of them. Uh, it can't uh, spoil the land. And two, it can't uh, uh, be left. Uh, for future generations. It, it, it's something that, that has to be utilized right then when it's uh, used. And cluster munitions fall into that category. You can't discern whether or not it's blowing up a civilian or a soldier. And it does spoil the land, and it lasts years and years. They're still clearing up uh, cluster munitions in Southeast Asia. Now, this sounds very similar to landmines, which uh, many listeners may remember from uh, 
from past wars where, uh, in fact, we're still trying to clean up landmines uh, in, in former, former war zones. Um, can you talk about that a bit? Yep. In uh, 1997, Human Rights Watch came out with a report stating that uh, Alliantech, uh, 1996, I'm sorry, Alliantech was the largest U.S. producer of landmines. Uh, that actually was kind of the, the birth of Alliant Action. Uh, the weekly vigils began then in 1996. Um, and uh, in 1998, actually, the international campaign to ban landmines uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize. And right now there's 140-some-odd nations that have signed on to the ban, the United States, of course, being one that has refused to sign it. But back in 1998, Alliance or the U.S. government actually said, okay, we're not going to buy any more of these landmines, and we're going to think about our position on this. Alliance was asked to sign uh, an agreement saying that they would not produce any future landmines. Their, their reply was that, basically, if we don't make them, somebody else will. And for the, our shareholders, we have to accept all contracts that we're able to fulfill. Their contracts then stopped with landmines. And they went into a development phase. And uh, a year and a half ago, the Army announced that they had uh, accepted Alliance uh, new design for an anti-personnel landmine. And uh, the system is called the Matrix or the Spider. It's referred to both of them. And what it essentially is is a, is a, a tube set up that shoots out these landmines from the ground. And they're tethered. They have a fiber optic cord that, that goes to each landmine. And they claim they're real safe now because a soldier sits at a little computer and he can activate or deactivate any of those mines that are on that, that tether. And then they say, after we're, we get ready to move on, we don't need the landmines there anymore, we can follow those little lines out and we pick them up and we repack them in the thing and we can shoot it off again. So this is, this is a real safe system. But there's still landmines. But there's still landmines. And they refer to it as a man-in-the-loop system. And what, they don't, what they don't tell you is that they also have a set-and-forget uh, portion to the system, which means that the operator can turn them all on and walk away. Now... Just kind of thinking of a situation where these are used, and let's say all of a sudden the Americans or whoever's using this system has it deployed, and they have the man in the loop, and all of a sudden they're, they're being attacked, and they have to withdraw real quick. And in wars, that happens all the time. I find it real hard to believe that they're going to be taking the time to pick up these landmines to repack in their system to use again. They're going to leave them. Once again, the landmine is not going to be able to tell whether it's a soldier or a civilian that's setting it off. Once again, the system is illegal under international law. I want to remind listeners there are tuned to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI.org on the Internet. This is Justice or Just Us. We're speaking with Tom Bottling from uh, Alliant Action. 
talking about the uh, weekly vigils and the uh, annual nonviolent resistance taking place outside of Alliant Tech Systems. Manufacturers of uh, cluster bombs, landmines, and uh, I guess for the, uh, the uh, what is it, a hat trick, the uh, depleted uranium uh, munitions. Uh, I'm sure listeners of this program have heard a bit about DU, but uh, what's this last one of the trifecta? Yeah. Depleted uranium munitions are, are particularly insidious because... They're affecting our American soldiers just as much as they're affecting people uh, in the areas where they're used. Um, back in 1976, Honeywell uh, developed a penetrator made out of depleted uranium. And for those that don't know, depleted uranium uh, is, they take uranium ore and they only, it's made up of three isotopes. And they only want two of them, and they make up a very small percentage of the uranium. And they want that to make nuclear fuel and the fissionable material for nuclear bombs. What's left over, about 99.28% of it, is then referred to as depleted. And the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission has hundreds of tons of this stuff in storage. And they literally give it away to people that have use for it. Honeywell, some companies develop ballast for boats. Boeing uses it for ballast in, uh, in airlines, and a, and a golf club company even makes golf clubs out of it. The advantage to depleted uranium is the, the density of it. It's 1.7 times more dense than lead. So Honeywell decided that what this stuff was really good for was to put it inside of a, a bullet, literally. And there's a Big misconception, a lot of people think that it's painted on or it's coated on the shell, and it's not. It's an actual solid rod in a 30-millimeter shell, which weighs a pound and a half. It contains a little over a half a pound of DU. In a 120-millimeter uh, shell, a tank shell, it contains 10.8 pounds of depleted uranium. So now why, why do they use this stuff? Well, because... It is extremely effective. Uh, it has the ability to self-sharpen, which means it doesn't pancake, it doesn't flatten out when it hits armor. It continues to get sharper and sharper. And it's pyrotechnic, so as it's sharpening, it's actually burning. It reaches temperatures 2,000 to 3,000 degrees. It literally melts its way right through armor. If there's enemy soldiers inside the tank, they don't have to worry about being blown up or anything because they're vaporized from the heat. Any subsequent explosions uh, come from any armaments inside the tank. The shell itself never really explodes. It just burns its way through. And so now this 10.8-pound penetrator, the government themselves estimate that 70% of it is aerosolized becoming uranium oxide dust. Uranium is a heavy metal. We know what happens to heavy metals when they're inside people. On top of that, it's an alpha-emitting um, uh, radioactivity. And alpha particles are worse inside the body. And so now here we have, out of a 10.8-pound penetrator, we have over 7 pounds of this dust. 
blowing around in the air, people breathing it in, not only the civilians, but our American soldiers there also. And I just want to jump in and make sure that, that listeners heard. The word you used was it becomes like, a, like an aerosol. Is right. It, so, you know, when you spray an aerosol, it doesn't just go in one specific area. You know, it, it spreads out throughout the room if, if it's a decent product. And right. uh, certainly our military isn't going to settle for uh, anything less than a decent product. So uh, this is something that uh, kind of satisfies, if you will, uh, the third violation of uh, the, the uh, indiscriminate weapons clause of uh, international law in that it, uh, one, it's indiscriminate because, as you suggested, it not only targets uh, the person on the other side of the uh, the the cannon, but it also uh, has literally a, a blowback effect on our troops. Secondly, it contaminates the environment, um, and third, what is its? Uh, I don't know if the word is shelf life, but how you know air fresheners uh, dissipate rather quickly. What about depleted uranium? Yeah, depleted uranium has a half life of four point five billion years. Is that with an M or a B? It's hard to, with the telephone. B. Okay. Billion. Billion. 4.5 billion year half-life. Um, you know, the Army claims that this, this dust, some people refer to it as poison dust, this dust isn't harmful because, because it's a heavy metal. It immediately settles to the ground within 50 feet uh, of wherever it strikes. I don't know if you remember, but when we first started Gulf War II and we were just outside of Baghdad, the whole operation bogged down. And the, the final attack on Baghdad was put off about a week and a half or two weeks. The reason being was huge dust storms going on in the area. Uh, in the Midwest here, we have a tornado season. Uh, down in the south, they have a hurricane season. Well, the Middle East has a dust storm season. I mean, these things happen. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of, of dust storms in uh, the Middle East, but I mean, it is just pure dust, clouds of dust on the ground. So as this stuff settles within 50 feet of wherever it was used, and a month later, a huge dust storm comes along, where do you think that stuff goes? You know, not only not only that, but this sounds eerily familiar to government claims about uh, napalm and Agent Orange and and other type of uh, uh, I don't know toxic or or dangerous chemical substances used by the military. Yeah, the exact the exact same thing as Agent Orange. The amazing thing is that the, the Army will tout many studies and they'll say uh, that this stuff is not a danger. Every one of their studies ends with a qualification that further studies need to be done. And the Army has done everything, everything they possibly can to prevent any type of meaningful studies on it. They really like this weapon. It's really, really effective. Um, you can go to several websites and you can see a, a picture of a tank turret that uh, was used for target practice that has holes 
just burnt in it. Um, really, really effective stuff, and they want to keep it in their arsenal. It's also an, an easy way to, to get rid of all this toxic waste that we have left over. We're speaking with Tom Bottling from Alliant Action. Tom, what is it you want from Alliant Tech Systems? You've been, uh, as you said, you organized in 1996. Uh, what is it you're asking of Alliant? Um, really, our, our, our bottom line is in, in something that goes way back. We kind of trace our roots back to 1968, which was the beginning of the Honeywell Project. And it started and ended several times uh, between 1968 and uh, 1990. Uh, and one of their mantras in, in ours has always been peace conversion. We realize that there's a lot of jobs here we're talking about. And we feel that the company should be devoting its, its energies to peaceful products. It's, it's kind of amazing. In the state of Minnesota, and I'm just kind of trying to recall here now, I wasn't actually involved in this, but in the early 80s, the state of Minnesota actually did a study. And the study clearly stated that a military economy is not the most beneficial for the state. Uh, peaceful products are a lot better, uh, is a bigger benefit. Uh, the state of Minnesota, they actually even had a Department of Peace, that uh, uh, a Democratic uh, administration put in as soon as the Republican, uh, the next governor came in who happened to be a Republican, that department was closed down. So we've always asked for peace conversion is our main thing that we're asking for. And just for the listeners, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's surprising. Uh, you know, this is something that I've only recently learned, but it really isn't that difficult to convert uh, you know, workers and industries that are dealing with munitions and military technology uh, into um, industries that contribute to more peaceful and more productive rather than destructive aspects of a general, uh, general economy. You, you brought up a, a study. You know, it's interesting. I'm teaching a, uh, a seminar at uh, the, the university on war, peace, and conflict. And there's, there's a ton of, of studies and, and articles and, and so forth suggesting that, indeed, uh, the military-industrial complex, while we like to think that it provides jobs and is beneficial to the economy and that somehow moving away from a uh, military-based economy would be devastating, uh, it really isn't, as you suggest. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. You know, when, when Alliant Tech was spun off from Honeywell, there were 1,500 Teamster jobs in the state of Minnesota uh, working that went with the company. Um, there's about 500 Teamsters jobs now in the state of Minnesota actually doing manufacturing. And what Alliant did in, in, uh, in uh, the uh, mid-'90s, 90s, as most military contractors did, they, they really diversified their operations and where they did it. Alliant actually operates in 23 different congressional districts uh, now has operations. 
And so they have 23 congressmen votes. Hmm. And, of course, those 23 congress people have, you know, all the favors that they need to call in because they're paying back favors all the time. Uh, to help the military uh, industrial complex uh, move forward. It, it was a way that most military contractors, uh, a strategy that most of them took, and very effectively. Hmm. And I'm not quite sure how much time we have left here, but I, I would like to make another point about Alliant. Please. Uh, if I can. Alliant Tech, um, you can go to their website, atk.com, and most of the stuff they'll talk about, what they do, uh, if they get a, a contract for cluster munitions, they're not going to put that on their on, on their webpage. Um, rocket motors, they love to brag about rocket motors and ammunition motors. And Wyatt also has 44 international sales offices around the world. They have a sales office in Pakistan and in India. Now, amongst other places all around the world. Here's two countries that at times are on, on the verge of a nuclear war with each other. And Alliant is selling both of them weapons. Now, I'm guessing that Pakistan and India aren't buying high-tech stuff. They're buying bullets for rifles, I'm guessing, mostly. And so if, if some type of conflict should occur in that area, the United States and our position as world police right now, uh, would surely step in. And at that point, our American soldiers would be shot at with bullets made by Alliant, an American company. I find this absolutely amazing that one of the things that they claim is that they are proud to be keeping the American soldier out of harm's way as they're, once again, building these uh, DU munitions that are uh, affecting our American soldiers, that they're selling their wares all over the world with the potential then to be used against our American soldiers. And I'm just guessing, I certainly don't know, but I know that during the Vietnam War, most of the booby traps were made from American munitions that uh, didn't explode when they were supposed to and converted to, to bombs. Uh, in Iraq, where a, uh, a huge problem, of course, is the roadside bombs, it wouldn't surprise me at all if those explosive devices were being made by Alliant Tech. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem that, uh, you know, goes far beyond Alliant. We, we sell weapons... Uh, you know, I believe 58% of the world's weapon supplies stem from the United States. Yep, uh, if the statistic that I have is uh, is accurate, it's it's pretty up to date. Uh, but we get the point. And uh, ultimately, there's what's known as the boomerang effect, where you know uh, an enemy of the enemy becomes a friend until the enemy is no longer an enemy anymore, and then suddenly everything changes. And yet we've armed all of these these other uh, these other players on the uh, the international landscape, and and all for a dollar, all under this this idea that this is somehow good for the United States, and as you point out, good and 
good for our troops and a, a source of protection. We've only got a, a few minutes left. I want to ask you, you've been out there having a, a weekly vigil, uh, rain or shines, uh, and I guess because it's Minneapolis, I should say uh, sleet or snow as well. Um, what response have you received from uh, either the current CEO or uh, Alliant uh, personnel in, uh, during this, these past 10 years? Yeah. We, we went through a phase uh, back in the uh, late 90s. Um, Alliant actually came to us, and they, and they asked if we were interested in doing a fundraiser with a dunk tank with their employees. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that was a pretty good relationship that we had. Um, and they, they, uh, they like to talk to us and stuff. And, of course, as the longer we've been there, the, the more of an irritant we have become for them. Uh, at this point right now, they, uh, uh, they describe us as, as non-event people, uh, a non-event and people that have no idea what they're talking about. Um, it, it, it's interesting, the relationships that we've gone through. The only real contact that we ever had with, with uh, upper management coming over to the, actually the vigil was shortly after 9-11. And at the time, the, uh, the CEO was Paul David Miller, and he was a retired admiral. And they actually referred to him in corporate headquarters. They had to refer to him as admiral. The admiral wants to do this. The admiral wants to do that. Um, but he came across the street, and there was a, uh, sure as you noticed, we have a lot of elderly uh, nuns, actually, that join us. And a, a, a sister by the name of Mary O'Brien was holding a sign that said, Killing Factory. And Mr. Miller came across the street up to Mary, and he said, I want you to know that I have two sons serving in the Navy, and that sign deeply offends me. And he turned around to walk away. And Mary's response to him was, we'll pray for them, um, which I, it's just absolutely amazing, I thought. Hmm. Um, that's the, actually the only uh, contact that we've ever had with the CEO. We as a group, um, starting in 2005, we, the small groups of people on a weekly basis, were attempting to deliver a, a, a document to the CEO, the current CEO, Dan Murphy, uh, entitled Employee Liabilities of Weapon Manufacturers Under International Law. And... Um, were arrested, uh, each group, and after three group trials, 23 people, uh, and three jury acquittals, uh, Edina's response, ATK's response, and Edina's response was to... Ed say, Edina, just for, for listeners, that's the county, correct? Uh, Edina is the city. The city, that, uh, okay. Alliance is actually in, Edina is a suburb of Minneapolis, okay. and that's where their corporate headquarters actually are. Okay. Um, uh, negotiating between uh, ATK, Alliant, and uh, the city of Edina, they came up with a plan to change the ordinance, uh, the trespass ordinance, taking away the right to a jury trial. And judges have a tendency not to find in the favor of the defendant. So um, actually that, that law is, uh, one of our members is appealing it currently uh, as being illegal to have done that. So we had that. So we had that effect uh, on the company. Um, do we actually stop them from making landmines or cluster bombs or DU? No. And it, 
it, it, if, if that was the goal, uh, it would really burn people out because it's, it's not attainable. Uh, peace conversion is attainable, but they actually, uh, I feel, is a group out there. I, I don't think our goal is to actually make them stop it because it's impossible. Um, raise public awareness. I think we're, we're fairly effective at doing that, educating the public about uh, the company. I think we're fairly effective at that. And, you know, I have a letter that was uh, dated October 24th, 2005, that uh, one of the members of Alliance, uh, Alliant Action had um, trying to deliver at, uh, at the event uh, on October 2nd. And the letter begins, uh, you know, Dear Vice Admiral Murphy, and uh, certainly we don't have time to talk about the revolving door between the military and the private sector, but it says, um, we've sent you letters question, questioning the legality of certain products currently or formally produced by Alliant Tech Systems. Uh, we've made repeated phone requests to schedule a meeting, but to no avail. Uh, the letter goes on to itemize some of uh, the concerns of Alliant Action. It concludes, We'd like to meet with you to engage in a dialogue regarding, regarding the issues raised in this letter. We look forward to your reply. Have you received any, <laughs> I mean, how many letters have you sent? How many phone calls? And again, you're out there every week. It's not that they don't know where to come and, and spark a dialogue. Have they been receptive other than the, the couple of anecdotes you've provided? Have you received any written response from Alliant? No, none whatsoever. You know, I actually... Uh, uh, several of us, uh, w w one of the groups that was involved with the jury acquittal had a big newspaper article in the, in the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune about them. Uh, it was a faith and values issue. And Bryce Hallowell, who was the public relations spokesperson for Alliance, was, was questioned uh, about these people trying to deliver this document. He made two real telling statements. Number one, he said that we will never have any dialogue with these people. And he also stated that the correct way for any person to address their concerns about this company was to be was at the annual shareholders meeting. Uh, several of us uh, then took the initiative to go out and buy a share of stock, uh, which incidentally has done very well for me, uh, my one share. It's gone up... Uh, Oh, about $28 in the past year and a half. Well, there you go. <laughs> or is profitable. But several of us did buy single shares of stock with the sole intention of being able to attend the shareholders' meeting. Um, we were just arrested August 2nd, attempting to uh, uh, go into the meeting. They wouldn't even allow us inside. Um, we had no signs. We weren't inebriated. Uh, uh, we were respectful and we were denied entry, and we refused to leave the door and, and were subsequently arrested. On what grounds were you denied entry? Um, they didn't want us in there. <laughs> you, you had shifty eyes. We, we had shifty eyes. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, uh, actually, they, they pulled out this folder and, and with a bunch of pictures, and they said, look at this, you were arrested here, you're a troublemaker. Uh, my response was that, you know, I've been vigiling outside here for 10 years, uh, it's uh, 52 times a year. I've been outside your place about 520 times, and I've been arrested um, maybe a dozen times there. So my record really is is that 
I don't get arrested. A small percentage of the time I have, but and you majority ha- of the time I don't. And you have tried letter writing and so on and so yeah. forth. Is that- well, we've tried letter writing. We've tried uh, making appointments by phone. We've tried by email. Uh, and, of course, all with no response. Well, we are just about out of time, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, give you an opportunity to provide uh, our listeners uh, contact information should they want to get involved with uh, Alliant Action or send letters to uh, to Vice Admiral uh, Daniel Murphy and so forth. So um, if listeners want to find out more about Alliant Action uh, and get involved, even if they're out of state, where could they go? Uh, the best place to find information on us would be AlliantAction.org, A-L-L-I-A-N-T-A-C-T-I-O-N. AlliantAction.org. There's contact information for us there. Uh, There's links to to most of the actions that we've done, documents we've tried to serve, and to ATK, because I think it's it's important that you you also look at their site and see what they're doing. Are you hopeful that um, concern about the privatization and the, the profiteering of uh, the military is catching on? Um, that is awareness of <laughs> profiteering, not profiteering itself catching on. I mean, there's, there does seem to be uh, maybe heightened concern with, uh, with Robert Greenwald's film or, you know, some of the fleecing of America, if you will, with Halliburton and, and so forth. Um, you know, what are, what are your, some of your closing hopes? Are you hopeful? Are you pessimistic? Yeah. I, you know, the corporate, corporate profiteering uh, of, uh, on the war, while, of course, a, a very, very serious problem, I think is a little bit different than the, 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 uh, the, pro- the war profiteering of a military contract. Alliance has everything, yeah, uh, well, I suppose both Halliburton and and Alliance, that everything is beneficial for them uh, when there is conflict going on or when a violent solution is chosen for any type of conflict. Alliance benefits. You know, as I said, my stock, I bought my stock a year and a half ago at $50 and it's $78 now. Uh, highly profitable, <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, I where there's there's that important focus and people can get really pissed off about Halliburton, I, I don't think that it's going to spill over to the military contractors. I, I think that we've been told over and over again, and of course we're a bunch of sheep, that uh, we need to protect ourselves from terrorism, and uh, through the military is how we're going to do that. And so we're going to continue to throw them as much money as they possibly need. Well, I uh, am certainly grateful for the opportunity to present some counter-arguments to uh, the, the daily uh, sound bites about the need for protection. The group is Alliant Action, and uh, check them out on the web. And uh, Tom Bottling, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Justice or Just Us. Well, Jared, thank you very much for having us, and it was good to see you. We could go in to be arrested with you. And uh, it was uh, it was certainly an honor. And uh, you guys do great work. And I I hope to uh, I hope to see you again at a future event. Okay. See you. Okay. Take care. Bye.